Well, it's good to see everyone again, and we were gone last week. We thank you for uh, allowing us to... Uh, uh, there was a Mexican, his name was uh, George Gonzalez, and it, it was back in the late 1800s, and he was robbing banks in Texas. And so what he would do is he would cross the border in, into Texas, rob a bank, and then he would flee back across the, the border into Mexico for safety. And, and uh, the, the Texas Rangers uh, you know, were trying to find him, trying to catch up with him, and and finally, they got really disgusted about it and realized they were going to have to go into Mexico to get him. So, so he robbed another bank, and they were hot on his heels, and they tracked him down in Mexico at a bar. And the Texas Ranger walked in, and he, he, he drew his gun on him and cornered him. And, and he told this guy, he told George Gonzalez, said, Now, now you, you need to tell me where you've hidden all the money, or I'm going to, full, uh, I'm going to fill you full of holes. Well, Gonzalez just stood there looking at him. He didn't speak English. And, and the Texas Rangers suddenly realized that, oh man, he doesn't understand what I'm saying. And a guy stepped forward and said, I can translate for you. So, so he turned around. This is what the guy said to George Gonzalez. The, the Ranger says, if you don't tell him where the money is, he's going to shoot you and fill you full of holes. Um, and, and so Gonzalez spoke back to the translator who would then, would, would then give a translation. This is what Gonzalez said. He said, well, tell him I, I, my, my run's up. I'm, I've been caught. There's nothing I can do. T- tell him I hope that he'll that if I tell him where the money is, that he'll be lenient and and give me a break. It, it's out back under a rock behind the big tree. And, and so the Texas Ranger looked at the translator and said, "What do he say? What do he say?" And 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 the translator looked at the ranger and said, "Well, he said, go ahead and shoot me. I'll never tell you where the money is." <laughs> If you had the uh, if you had the answer to where a treasure lay, if if you had a map to where where you could find great treasure, it would be worth a lot. Maybe even to the point that you would lie about it. But if you had a a map to that place, it would be great. Well, well, I've got good news for you this this morning. I'm gonna I'm gonna share with you a map to great treasure. Now, it's not financial. Sorry, there's no money there. But 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 it is great news because Scripture tells us, and we're going to talk about that this morning, Scripture tells us that Jesus has promised us and told us that He's coming back. There is a time that Jesus will return. And that truthfully is a, 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 a truth of great values. And, and the, this morning we're going to look at a couple things. We're going, to, we're going to look about when He's coming back, and we're also going to look about what what are some things about that that we need to know? What are the most important things about that? So, so let me tell you, this morning is going to be an important message. This may be, this may be the most important message that you've heard since I've been here. In fact, this, this is something, I'm going to have you write this down. It's not really in the notes, but, but you're going to write, I want you to write this down because I'm going to share a truth with you. I'm going to share with you the reality of when Jesus is coming back. I'm going to give you an insight into that, and I think you're going to want to write it down. In fact, you might go ahead and look at your cell phones and get a list of people that you're going to call as soon as church. Go ahead and call them during church if you want to. I'm okay with that because you're going to tell you're you're going to want to tell them this because this is important. I'm going to let you know what Scripture tells us about when Jesus is coming back. Are are you ready to learn that? I'm going to let you know when He's coming back. Let me give you this truth. Ready to write it down? Got your pencils, pens ready? You don't write this in pen, actually. Nobody knows. Nobody knows. 
I, I'm sorry if you thought I was going to tell you the day, time, something like that. I, I I'm going to I'm going to leave you a little bit disappointed. If you have your Bibles, turn with me to Mark chapter 13. Uh, this story is also found in Luke and it's also found in in Matthew, but but it's a story where Jesus deals with this issue and he's actually dealing with two different issues, but one of them is the fact that he is coming again and he throws some insight out there. And I'm going to read just the last section of that. If you, if you want to get the context, and I'll, I'll kind of just go over the context here in a bit, you, you can read the, the whole part of beginning with verse 1 in chapter 13. But I'm going to start in verse 32. And this is kind of where, where I came up with that, that earth-shaking revelation about uh, no one knows. Chapter uh, 13, verse 32. No one knows about the day or hour not even the angels or heaven, now catch this, I want you to understand this, nor the Son, but only the Father. So if you catch nothing else today, if you go home with nothing else, I want you to understand that no one knows when Jesus is coming back, including Jesus. There's only one, and it's the Father who knows the time. But, but Jesus goes on and gives instructions. He says, be on guard, be alert. You do not know when the time will come, the sign... Uh, uh, it is uh, like a man going away. He leaves his house and puts his servants in charge of each one, his assigned task, and tells the one at the door to keep watch. Therefore, keep watch, because you don't know when the owner of the house will come back, whether in the evening or at midnight or when the rooster crows or at dawn. If he comes suddenly, do not let him find you sleeping. What I say to you, I say to everyone, watch, watch. Now, let me give you a little bit of background. Uh, Chapter 13 takes place in the last week of Jesus' life. Uh, it's, it's actually Tuesday evening. Jesus, uh, on his way out of the city on Tuesday evening, it's, it would have been the last time that he was in the temple. So the last time that he visited the, the, the temple uh, there in Jerusalem. And as they make their way out of Jerusalem, if you go back to chapter 13, the start of the chapter, this is, this is what happens there. Uh, in verse 1, as he was leaving the temple, so they're walking out, actually headed to the to the other side, to Bethany, and, and find, find themselves on the Mount of Olives. As he's leaving the temple, one of his disciples said to him, look, teacher, what massive stones and what magnificent buildings. So it's kind of kind of the scene as they're walking out. And I don't, I don't know what happened. Maybe they just glanced back over their shoulder. And, and what I imagine happened was it was just the right time of day, and the sun was shining off uh, of the temple, and the temple was beautiful, particularly as you saw it as you were leaving the city. Uh, some said that the stones were white, and when the sun shined on them, they, they almost glowed, and, and some of the, the stones were massive in their size, and just a, a, a an engineering marvel that the temple was built like it was. And so as they walked out, they looked back, and, and they just said to Jesus, kind of in conversation, Jesus, look, look at how beautiful the temple is. It's it's not not really any different than then some of the times you've done that. Maybe, maybe you saw Rita and I did this uh, last Saturday night in, in, uh, in northern Illinois. We, we left the wedding and there was a, a rainbow in the sky it, and turned into a double rainbow. We're just watching. It's like, how beautiful. In fact, the couple got a picture we saw on Facebook where they showed looking at it. Just, oh man, it's just like, wow, that's wonderful. Maybe you've been to the mountains sometime and, and it was just, it was a clear day, and, and the sky was blue, and the mountains just sh- shone out. And you're like, wow, that's beautiful. Maybe, you, maybe you've been at a lake in the morning, and the, and the sun's just coming up, and you can see the reflection of the trees on the water, and it's, just, it's quiet. And you're like, wow, that's beautiful. We, we've all been there, and that's kind of what was happening. They walked out of the city. Now, mixed in there, there was a little bit of a, 
there's a little bit of pride there. There's a little bit of national pride, of, uh, of, of relational pride, of, of civic pride, of spiritual pride. When they look back at the, the temple, because the temple, even though they were understanding, getting to understand who Jesus was, they still looked at the temple as kind of, that's where God was. God dwelt in the Holy of Holies inside that temple. And, and so there, there was a lot of pride involved as they looked back and, and they just said to Jesus, it's really kind of odd. He was the author of that. I mean, Jesus is, Jesus is God's presence. Hey, Jesus, did, do you notice that? Notice how, notice how beautiful it is. Now, now on top of this, it was, it was Passover time. So, so they were stoked. Uh, the most important festival, most important, important feast of the year. They were getting ready to celebrate just a couple days later. Uh, even though Jesus had said he'd come to Jerusalem to die, I don't think they really believed it or understood it. So, so they were excited. They were excited that they were with Jesus. And, and then they looked back at the temple, and it just it looked so beautiful. They said, Jesus, look at the beauty of that. And you want to talk about change, a change of moods. Because Jesus said, yeah, I see it. You, you, you realize that coming soon, not one stone is going to be left on the other. That temple is going to be destroyed wow wow they they they, they must have had a uh, had, had a real down look over in verse uh, verse three after as jesus was sitting on the mount of olives to, to the other side they were looking out out over uh, at the the temple off to the temple peter james john and andrew asked him privately privately tell us when these things will happen and what will be the sign that they are about to be fulfilled now now, I want to just point something out so we don't misunderstand it. Mark chapter 13, verses 5 through 23. So if you want to look at that later. This section, uh, and you see the, the things that are talked about there, is talking specifically about the destruction of Jerusalem, which would, would happen later on in 64 to 66 B.C. Uh, Israel or uh, Jerusalem was laid siege, and, and then in 70, uh, 80, 70, it was destroyed. And so Jesus in these verses, and there's going to be some familiar phrases you've heard there, but Jesus is talking in those verses specifically about one event, and that's going to be the destruction of Jerusalem. So, so Jesus answers their, their question, and he answers it by actually answering two different things. They didn't really ask about the one, but he threw it in there. He, he tells them what's going to happen about the destruction of Jerusalem, and he also tells them just a little bit about when he's going to come back. Jesus is specifically in these first verses talking about the destruction of Jerusalem. And it is a warning to the Christians who will be alive then. So in other words, most of those verses, let me just point that, do not apply to us. He was talking about the Christians that would be alive during that era to, to be aware of what was going to happen. And when you saw the abomination that leads to desecration, when you see that, then flee the city. Don't even take your stuff. Just flee the city for the mountains so that you're not caught up in that. That was a specific uh, instruction for those people in that, in, in that time. Now, now I, want you to, I want you to realize something a little bit. As this question came up, Jesus said it, the, the temple's going to be destroyed. And, and I imagine there was some emotion there. I imagine there was some, uh, there, there was some shock. Jesus. And, and they kind of asked two questions. When's it going to happen? Jesus, when's it going to happen? And the second question was, what's, what's going to be the sign? And, and there might have been, there might have been in there, Jesus, if you tell us 
what leads up to it, we can stop it. Because we don't want that to happen. There must have been some frustration for Jesus. Because you remember, I've talked about this two or three times. Three different times, so far in the Gospel of Mark, three times Jesus predicted that he was going to Jerusalem and he was going to be arrested and crucified and died and be raised from the dead. Do you realize that all three of those times, the disciples never asked him, when's it going to happen? They never got frustrated and said, Jesus, what are going to be the signs that that's going to happen? In fact, the third time, which took place in Mark chapter 10, immediately following Jesus said, I'm going to Jerusalem, and I'm going to be arrested, and I'm going to be crucified, and I'm going to die and come back to life. Immediately following that, what happens is James and John said, okay now, Jesus, when you come into your kingdom, we want to ask you a favor. Can I sit on the right and, and my brother on the left? Man, but when he talked about the temple, oh, Jesus, what's the sign? When's it going to, going to happen? So you can imagine his frustration. So, so he answers their question, but he doesn't really answer their question. He mentions, if you want to look at those verses, several things that were going to happen. He said, they will come in his name to deceive. He says there's going to be wars and rumors of wars. There's going to be earthquakes. There's going to be persecution. He said the, boss, the gospel is going to be preached to all nations, and there's going to be abomination that causes desolation. He said all that's going to happen before the destruction of Jerusalem. So let, we put that to rest. So let's talk about the second thing Jesus talks about. He talks, first of all, about the destruction of Jerusalem. doesn't really apply to us, guys. It's, it's happened. But he does talk about him coming back. He does say there's coming a time when, and, and we know that from uh, Acts chapter 1, when, when he ascended into heaven, after he ascended, there's a couple of angels appeared and said, hey, just like he went up in the clouds, he's going to come back in the clouds. He's going to come back for you. And, and Jesus says here, uh, there'll be a trump, I'll come. The angels will gather the believers from the four winds. So Jesus says, I am coming back. That is good news, I'm coming back. But but it brings up for us a couple questions, or, or, or at least a couple things to consider. First of all, and here's the question we have, the timing. So, so if you want to think about the timing, and, and just note under, I've already mentioned this, but no one knows. So my definitive answer on when is Jesus coming back is an answer that I got directly from Jesus, and that is that nobody knows. But we ask, but we continue to ask, when is it? No one but the Father knows, not even Jesus. Now, now let, let me point this out. If it was hidden from Jesus, if it was hidden from Jesus, should we spend a lot of time trying to figure out the exact moment and the exact season and the exact time? I, I think in part Jesus didn't know so that he didn't have to build questions about it. Weeks ago, some of you saw the Facebook or friends with my wife on Facebook uh, saw that my daughter Crystal took took my wife, her mom, uh, on a little vacation, a little short trip to Florida for Mother's Day and for her birthday. Just just for just see if anyone knows this. Anyone want to guess what I got for Father's Day and my birthday? Anyone? Anyone? That's right, nothing. I haven't got anything yet. My wife, <laughs> my. You took, yeah, yes, he can't afford anything from her because he took her mom to Florida. Uh, but, but when the trip was finally planned and she decided to go, she didn't tell Rita where they were going. And so I, I did what you would do. I said to Crystal, 
Where are you going? Where are you taking her? And Crystal said to me, I'm not going to tell you. <laughs> now, I don't have time to tell the whole story because she wanted the whole thing to be a surprise, and I told Rita that, hey, Crystal's going to surprise you with a trip. You might want to figure out when you can take it. So she was mad at me because I I'd, I'd broke the, the trip deal. But So she says, I can't trust you, Dad. I'm not going to tell you. And guess what Rita said? I don't know how many times. Do you know where we're going? Did Crystal tell you? Do you know where we're going? Do you know? I, I think in part, I think in part, now I, I'm just making an assumption here. I, I think in part Jesus didn't know when he was coming back because he didn't have to deal with it. Now, if you want that definitive answer, it's simply this. If Jesus doesn't know, if, if the one who's coming back doesn't know, if the one who's going to be on the clouds with the trumpet sound doesn't know, if, if the one who's going to draw the, the believers, the, the dead in Christ first, and then those who are left second, if, if he doesn't know, then maybe it's not for us to know either. In, in fact, how arrogant it is of us to believe that we can figure out the time when even Jesus doesn't know. Now, now I, for fear of maybe offending someone, I'm okay with people studying eschatology, studying end times, and trying to figure out the, what, what, what things are happening and what they mean. I'm okay with that. Just that's not who I am. I, I I take the easy way out, and I say Jesus didn't know. I don't know. I don't need to know. But, but we ask that next question. Then okay, what's the sign? If I if I can't know the exact date, and and we can't because Jesus doesn't. If I will, you show me a sign. Now all the signs that we talk about there: earthquakes, wars, rumors of wars, all this stuff going on, persecutions. That's all talking about the destruction of Jerusalem, not the coming of Jesus. In fact, verses 24 and 25 are the only thing that he throws on there that, that happens before um, Jesus' coming. And that could have literally been at the very moment that, that came. So, so I ask this question. We want to know what the signs are. Why do we need to know so badly and, and, and have, the, have the desire to know exactly what it looks like? Now, now full disclosure, I read all the Left Behind books. I read every one of them, enjoyed them. They were great. I don't know if I believed them all or not, but man, it was great reading. But the reality is, if you read those and really into that, you know, if you're a believer, none of that applied to you anyway because you were already gone. So, so you didn't have to worry about it. But, but why? Why do we want to know? Most of this passage is Jesus being compassionate to the Christians who would be alive in Jerusalem. And he just tosses in this other truth that I'm coming back, I'm coming back, and you need to be prepared. prepared. Each generation, here's the reality, each generation is one generation closer, is one generation closer to seeing Jesus. So so are we in end times? Yeah. Man, we are closer than, than the generation before us. Maybe Jesus is coming back next month or next year. Or Jesus may wait till our great-grandchildren are living before he comes back. I don't think that's what he really is talking about or wants us to learn. See, see, the truth is Jesus comes back for each one of us at least at a specific time. If we're not alive when he comes back, he comes back for us. I, I'm 59 years old. I, I could step out because I'm, I'm a little feeble now. I could step out and, on the road out here and get hit by a truck Monday morning. And for me, Jesus would have come back. 
okay, at that moment. The, the reality is, all the champ men, my, my dad, uh, my, my grandfather, my dad's dad, two of my uncles all died in their 50s. Man, I'm, I'm staring at 60. I'm 11 months away from it. I'm, I'm staring at 60. That is going to be a milestone for a champ man. The only champ man in our family that made it to his 60s, well, I guess yeah, my brother has, but older than us was my Uncle Les, the drunk. So, <laughs> next elders mean I'm going to ask, is it okay if I start drinking heavily? Because that may be my only chance to live very long. <laughs> but the reality is Jesus... Jesus is going to come back for all of us. It might be when we're 84 or 64 or 44, or he might come with a trumpet sound, and we see it this morning after church. But he is going to come back for all of us. He's going to come back for all of us. So, so, so we ask, but, but we learn, why, why did Jesus give this teaching? Why, if, if it's not really important, and you can disagree with me on this, it's okay, if it's not that important for us to try to interpret all the times or try to figure out the exact moment, why did Jesus talk about it? Why did, why did he throw that in here with those hints towards the destruction of, of Jerusalem? I think he taught us so we'd be prepared. That's what we're going to look at here in the next section, exactly. Uh, in, in her book, The Hiding Place, Corey Timboom tells this story. Uh, Corey's uh, family started during uh, Nazi Germany started hiding Jews uh, in in their house, and at, sometimes they had dozens of Jews hidden in their house, and uh, and and it was a very difficult time. And, and one of the times, Corey came to her father, a very wise Christian man, and and she was very discouraged because because she couldn't figure out why God was doing certain things, and 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 was really concerned about having the faith to go on. And he gave her this instruction. He said, "Corey, do you remember when we go to Amsterdam?" And she said, yes, when, when she was a small child, once a week her, her father, who was a watchmaker and, and sold watches, repaired them, would, would get on a train and go to Amsterdam to look at the, uh, at the clock there and make sure he had the exact time. He said, do you remember when we go to Amsterdam? She said, yes. Remember when we get on the train? She says, yes, Papa, I remember when, when that happened. And, and, and then, she, then he said to her, do you remember when I give you your ticket? And she said, well, yes, Papa, you hand me my ticket right as I'm getting on the train. He said, ah, Corey, exactly. Our wise Father in heaven knows when we're going to need things too. Don't run out ahead of him. When the time of need comes, you'll look into your heart and find the strength you need just in time. Why, why didn't Jesus give us a clear road map to exactly when he's coming back? Why, why didn't he give us a, a way to figure out the exact moment? And I don't know, some people think they can do it, but Why? Because the truth is, when we need his strength, it'll be there. We can trust it. Kyle Eidemann tells this story. He said he was watching, uh, watching his young daughter, about three years old, playing out in the yard, and there was a bunch of, uh, of butterflies that were flying about her, and she was trying to grab the butterflies, and, and every time she would reach for one, it would flutter away. And she was getting kind of frustrated, and, and, and her arms were flailing about, and it's really struggling. And he was watching from the window, and so he walked out, and he, he said to his daughter, honey, if if you'll just trust me, this doesn't, doesn't seem to make sense, but if you'll just trust me, I, I can guarantee you that you'll catch a butterfly. He said, just sit down on the ground and be still. Just sit there and don't move. He stepped away and, and, and watched, and sure enough, the butterflies flew around her, and pretty soon one of the butterflies landed on her leg. So it was a beautiful moment. Of course, he said then she reached down and grabbed it and squished it in her hand and 
<laughs> the, the beauty of the moment went away. But the, the reality is, I think Jesus is teaching us here and talking about his return, not so that we'll get all worked up and try to figure out when it's going to be and what's going to happen right before it is. And, and if we can figure out, I don't think he does it so we can get all worked up. I think he teaches us this and offers it so we can calm down. So we can take a deep breath and we can sit quietly and know no matter what happens, he's in control. He's got it. In the, in 2 Kings, there's a story, chapter 6, verses 13 to 17, if you want to look there. King Aram uh, was fighting with Israel, uh, and, and every time they were trying to lay a trap for them, Elisha, the prophet, would tell the king of Israel what was going to happen and say, avoid that area. And the king of Aram was getting very frustrated because every time he had his, his plan set and ready to go, uh, uh, the, the Israelites would figure it out and be away. So as he began to ask, how do they know what's going on? And someone said, it's that prophet Elijah. He's the one that's telling the king. And so in, in uh, 2 Kings chapter 6, verses 13 to 17, here's what we read. Go and find where he is, the king ordered, so I can send men and capture him. The report came back, he's in Dotham. Then he sent horses and chariots and a strong force there. He went by night and surrounded the city. When the servant of the man of God, so the servant of Elisha, the prophet, got up and went out early the next morning, an army with horses and chariots had surrounded the city. Oh, my Lord, what shall we do? The servant asked. Notice what Elijah says. Don't be afraid, the prophet answered. Those who are with us are more than those who are with them. <laughs> now, now, you've got to appreciate this, or at least I do. Elisha, or, uh, and Elijah prayed, Oh, Lord, open his eyes so that he may see. Then the Lord opened the servant's eyes, and he looked and saw the hills full of horses and chariots of fire all around Elisha. Why, why, does, uh, why does Jesus teach us here? I think in part he, he just wants us to understand he's in control. He's got it. Here, here's the second thing we see the truth. Because Jesus doesn't leave us devoid of teaching here. He actually throws something out. He, he says, therefore, therefore keep watch. Um, he does so in a couple different ways. Look at verse 32. We'll start there again. No one knows the exact day or hour, not even the angel of heaven nor the son, but only the father. Look at verse 33. Be on guard, be alert. That's actually, that's actually just one word there. It's the Greek word agupano. Uh, and, and the idea, the, that Greek word has the idea of keeping your eye on something to, to be intent to, to look at something and to watch it, to not take your eye off it. So what's he talking about? What, What does Jesus mean when he says for us to be alert, to be on guard, to fix our eye on something and not take our our eye? Is he talking about trying to figure out the end times? I don't know, maybe he is, but but I don't think that's at all. I think what he's talking about is us fixing our eyes on something else. See, throughout the generations, everyone has thought that the end end was near. My grandparents' generation, they thought the end was near. My great-grandparents' generation, they thought the end was near. My great-great-grandparents, they thought the end was near. There were preachers who were preaching, the, the, repent, the Lord's coming back. Even in Bible times, even in the time immediately after Jesus, they thought his return was imminent. Paul wrote the book, the two books to the, the church at Thessalonica because they were convinced that Jesus was coming any time. In fact, the early church had a greeting that they shared with one another. They, they would, would, would greet one another, and when they left, they would say to each other, Maranatha, 
which means come, O Lord, or come soon, Lord. Uh, and and it, they said it in part as an encouragement because their life was tough. They were persecuted. There were trials. And so part of it was, Lord, come and take us out of this. But part of it was because they thought Jesus was coming back in their lifetime. So they encouraged one another, Maranatha, come, Jesus. We're ready for you. We know it's going to happen soon. But it didn't. He tells us to be on guard, to be alert. In the context of the second coming, then what are we to fix our eyes on? What are we encouraged by Jesus? What are we challenged by? What are we, what are we given instruction on to fix our eyes on? I think it's really simple. Over the last several months, we've been preaching from the Gospel of Mark. And what have we been talking about? We've been talking about Jesus. We've talked about His love. We've talked about His compassion. We've talked about His forgiveness. We've talked about His service. We've said it's our theme for the year that our job is to fulfill the two commandments, love God and love others. We know from Scripture in 1 Peter, it says we're to be holy as He is holy. Uh, in Philippians 2, it says we're to have the mind of Christ or have His heart. Uh, Hebrews chapter 12 says to, to fix our eyes on Jesus. So I think what Jesus is simply saying here is for us to focus on Him. I'm coming back, so be on guard, be alert, watch me. I uh, I like to play golf, and uh, when you play golf, the goal is when you tee off, the goal is to hit the ball down the middle of the, of the fairway. Those of you that play golf, it doesn't always happen. That's that's the goal. But but when it does, when when you tee off and you hit the ball, you drive, and it flies right down the middle of the fairway and, and lands out there, you can see it sitting on the fairway. Even like when I hit a, that drive, even 300 yards away, I can see my, my golf ball. Okay, maybe not 300. 275 yards down the fair. Okay, about 225 yards down the fairway. If you don't know golf, you know none of what that meant. But 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 I can see my my ball out there. And so so when you're walking out to your golf ball, man, it's kind of cool when you see it all the way. It's right there in the middle of the fairway. And and so when I'm walking along with my friends who hit their balls to the right and to the left, and you know I, I kind of walk with them like I know where mine is. I'll I'll help you find yours over here in the rough. I'll go get in those trees and help you find your golf. Mine's out there. See mine? It's sitting out there right in the middle of the fairway. <laughs> but as I said, not every time that happens because sometimes I hit the ball and I get a little outside in and I hit a banana slice and the ball starts where it looks like it's going to be good and then it takes a big old banana slice to the right and it's heading towards the rough or to the trees. And this is what I do sometimes. I'm not proud of it. Uh, show of hands if any of you do this who play golf sometimes when I do that I go and I take my golf club I really sometimes do this and I'll take that tee and I'll pound that tee in the ground like it's that tee's fault yes I have thrown a golf club before a couple times I've thrown my club further than my ball went but but I get so mad I, I, I look down anyone else do that I mean just show of hands any golfers come on come on thank you thank you Nick but when you do that, you don't see where your ball goes. So, so when I'm disciplined and I hit a bad shot, I keep my eye on the ball. It goes into the rough. And, and usually there's a piece of grass, a tuft of grass that's a little higher. and You kind of mark it with that. Or maybe a tree limb hanging down. You're like, it went right there. And so what I do is I keep my eyes on that spot, that piece of grass, that tree limb. 
and I walk straight towards it because I know that's where my ball, even though I can't see it, I know that it's there. It, Jesus is telling us to fix our eyes on him. And sometimes life, the Christian walk is easy and we can see, we can see all the way down there and we know exactly where our goal is and it's, it's really right there in the middle of fairway and life's easy and man, we just kind of stroll along. Sometimes, sometimes life heads, leads us to the rough and to the trees and it's tough. And his instruction is keep your eyes on me. So, so you know what Jesus says about the end times? Simple. Fix your eyes on me. He goes on in verse 34, um, or in verse 35, says, Therefore, keep watch. Because you don't know when it's going to happen. Keep watch. Jesus uses a, another word there that kind of has the same context, the same idea. It's the Greek word, gregornio. And, and it has the idea of staying awake and alert. During, during Jesus' day, they would have understood this concept. They would have understood the application uh, the temple guards were were to guard the temple at night. There were actually three different shifts, three different watches during the night. And and while they were watching their their posts, their job was to stay alert, to stay awake, to not lose sight, not not fall asleep. Uh, and and during the night, they knew what could happen was a captain of the guard could walk around and check, and he would walk around the outer walls of the temple to make sure you were awake. He was he he was checking to make sure that you were. Gregorio, that you were without sleep, that you'd chased sleep away, that you were watching. It's said that if the guard, captain of the guard found you asleep, he could, he could beat you or even set your clothes on fire. That would be incentive for me to stay awake, I think. But he could, but, but your job was to stay diligent and awake. I had a friend in college, John Matthews. John was a very smart guy, very intelligent. A great student, loved college, loved studying, and, and, and made great grades all the time. John had a big test coming up one, 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 uh, uh, Tuesday morning at seven o'clock. And, and so Monday night, John decided he was going to stay up all night studying for his test. And, and so when everyone else in the dorm went to bed, even his roommate turned off his light and went to bed, John was sitting at his desk studying and he studied all night long. And finally about five o'clock in the morning, he was, he was sure that he had the material. He'd gone through his flashcards one last time. He knew every little bit of information that he needed to know. And, and, and as he sat at, on his chair, he thought, I'm just going to close my eyes for a moment. At 7.45, the alarm for his roommate went off and woke him up, and he had missed the test. Now, we all felt bad, and we petitioned his teacher to... No, we didn't. We laughed at him. <laughs> Dude, you shouldn't you should have went to bed. <laughs> Jesus' instruction is simply this. Stay awake. And and so he says, be ultimately, and, and, and this is what he's after. Ultimately, you're gonna be okay. If you have your Bibles, turn to First Thessalonians chapter four. We're we're gonna close with this. First Thessalonians Thessalonians chapter four. Again, I mentioned earlier that in Thess- the church of Thessalonica was struggling with this end time stuff. They thought Jesus was coming back any moment. It's kind of messing them up a little about those who have fallen asleep or to grieve like the rest of men who have no hope. We believe that Jesus died and rose again, and so we believe that God will bring Jesus with Jesus those who have fallen asleep in him. 
according to the Lord's own word, we tell you that we who are still alive, who are left till the coming of the Lord, will certainly not precede those who have fallen asleep. For the Lord himself will come down from heaven with a loud command, with the voice of the archangel and the trumpet call of the Lord, and the dead in Christ will rise first. After that, we who are still alive and are left will be caught up together with them in the clouds to meet the Lord in the air. So we will be with the Lord forever. Now I want you to catch the last verse. If you really want to know what Jesus wants us to catch from this whole verse about his second coming, it's this. Therefore, encourage each other with these words. I've got good news. Jesus is coming back. I don't know when. He doesn't know when. I, I don't think there's really signs that are going to give us gives us a general feel, but it's not going to take us to an exact moment. It's not important. Just be alert. Be on guard. Be ready. And you'll be okay. Let's pray. Father, thank you this morning that we can find encouragement and strength uh, in the fact that you're coming back. It's not something for us to fear. In, in fact, it's not something that, that would cause us any distress at all. In fact, it's a promise. And, and Father, no matter what happens around us, if the world around us falls apart, if the rumors of war and earthquakes, if that hits us directly, Lord, it's okay, because you are in control. Father, help us keep our eyes fixed on you. Father, help us be on guard, not asleep, and watch to the very end, because we know through you, we're okay. In Jesus' name, amen. If you're here this morning and have a decision you'd like to share, a decision you need to make available or known to the to the congregation, we'd invite you to come. If you don't know Jesus, if you don't know Jesus, then the second coming is something to fear. Because the ones that are caught up with Him are the believers. The only one that has the promise that you're okay are those who have put their faith in Him. If you're here today and you don't know Jesus, then you should be afraid. If we know Christ, that second coming is a promise, it is great joy. It is Maranatha to us. Come quickly. Would you come as we stand?